Our scripture reading this morning comes from the letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4, and we'll read verses 2 through 9. Philippians 4, verse 2, I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things." The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace, which uh, the God of peace will be with you. So far, the reading of God's word. The text to which we'll be giving special attention are the verses six and seven of that text, Philippians four, six, and seven. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we want to remember as we're stepping into this text, the same thing we saw several weeks ago when we looked at verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord, that these verses here are some of Paul's final words to the Philippian congregation, and it was a congregation that he loved very dearly. That's the tone in which we want to hear these words. And so in these last verses, as he recognizes the possibility that he might never see these people again, Paul reminds them of the most important things, the things that always ought to be on their minds. Uh, these are each, each verse here is, gives a, a short, general word of counsel, and each verse sort of stands on its own, except for 6 and 7, which, which uh, belong together. And so in verse 4, again, he urged the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always, something a church must always keep in mind. In verse 5, let your gentleness be known to all men, and then he backs that up with a reminder, after all, the Lord is at hand, and that should enable you to be gentle uh, to all. And now in verse 6 and 7, he gives one final word of exhortation. He says, do not be anxious, or, or to be, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, there's more to say about these verses than can possibly be said in a single sermon Older, more mature Christians will immediately understand exactly what Paul is talking about when he speaks of 
the peace of God which surpasses understanding. But that's not something that's easy to to communicate. These are very well-known verses, but they're not very well understood or or well appreciated verses. And I I can say that confidently that these verses are not well appreciated because anxious Christians are still everywhere, including, I'm sure, within this church. And the truth is many of them don't even know that they are anxious. Of course, it comes out along the edges. Uh, Their wives and their kids will see it as as the old proverb goes, whatever you're full of spills over when you're bumped. And that anxiety certainly does spill over in often unpleasant ways. But it's still possible to live in a state of constant anxiety without actually realizing that you're doing so, and that may be the case for a good number of us even here this morning. Well, to understand the, the full force of what Paul is, is saying with, with these verses, we need to understand well what he means by the command, do not be anxious, or, or be anxious for nothing. When we hear this command, we probably think of it in, in sort of a binary fashion. We assume that there's only really two options before us. Either I'm going to be anxious about the concerns in my life or I'm not. And Paul is saying, don't. Uh, And we sort of look at that and we think, Paul, is that even possible? Is that even reasonable? Can a person not be anxious? Can I not be anxious? Is it possible not to be anxious about the things that God has put in my life? Well, the truth is, it's not that binary. It's not that simple. The truth is anxiety is a reflection of the things we care about. And Paul is certainly not calling us to to stop caring, to just be apathetic. Uh, In fact, if you had been reading this in the Greek, as the Philippians were, you might have noticed only a couple chapters back, Paul actually commends Timothy uh, to the Philippians for his concern for the Philippian church. And he uses the exact same word there that he uses here. Uh, He says in chapter 2, verse 19, I hope hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of, of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That's the exact same word here uh, that he uses. He is anxious for your welfare. And so you might even accuse Paul of of hypocrisy here. He's telling us not to be anxious, and yet there he is commending Timothy for being anxious for us. Uh, So should we be anxious or or shouldn't we, Paul? Uh, Get this this clear for us. Well, obviously we have to assume that there's there's two different things going on here. There's a kind of anxiety that's good and commendable, um, and he commends Timothy for it, And there's a kind of anxiety that is not good or not healthy, and he warns us against it. Uh, It's clearly not wrong to care, and even to care a lot, as Timothy clearly did. He probably had some sleepless nights as he uh, lay in bed worried for the Philippian church. So Paul is clearly not exhorting us to be apathetic, to just stop feeling anxiety at all. So what does Paul mean then when he warns us, be anxious for nothing? 
Well, if you know your Bible well, you should know this isn't the first time that we receive this command. The Lord Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 6. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Again, uh, Matthew 6, verse 27, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Once more, verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? So what is this anxiety then that the Lord Jesus and Paul now are warning us about? Well, part of the answer seems to be that the anxiety, at least that the Lord Jesus warns us about, is an anxiety, anxiety about earthly things. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Uh, those are all, of course, earthly realities, and that's what the Lord Jesus says. He says, these are things that the Gentiles worry about, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. And, and then, on, in contrast, He urges us, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So part of the answer seems to be, what are we anxious about? Jesus urges us not to be anxious about earthly things and instead to be anxious for, for heavenly things or at least to seek first the heavenly things, the kingdom of God. But there's more to it than, than simply that. Because the fact is, those earthly concerns are real. And we do have to think about them, and we do have to care about them. The Lord Jesus himself says, your, your Heavenly Father knows that you need these things. And so we can't simply say, well, let's just not worry about earthly concerns. We'll stop caring about those and only think about heavenly concerns because we need to think ahead and plan ahead and, and care about the future or we would all starve to death. We have to be concerned for earthly things in the future. And besides that, we all know it's also possible to be anxious in an unhealthy way about heavenly things. Uh, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Uh, he doesn't just say, don't be anxious about earthly things. It's entirely possible to have an unhealthy anxiety about the church or about the kingdom of God or about the state of Christianity in this country, those, those all being heavenly realities. And so the answer is, is not as simple as saying, well, stop being anxious about earthly things and start being anxious about heavenly things. What then does Paul mean? We come back to our question again. Well, allow me for just a moment to speak Greek with you. Uh, the verb here that's translated, be anxious for nothing, is in the, in the present tense in the Greek, which in Greek always indicates an ongoing action. So, so Paul is not so much saying, don't be anxious, as he's saying, don't carry on being anxious. There's an ongoing sense in, in that verb. He's thinking about anxiety as an ongoing action. In other words, you could translate this as, don't dwell in anxiety. Don't live in anxiety. Don't keep on being anxious. Because the fact is, anxieties will come into your life. There is nothing you can do to stop that. 
that much is, is simply a fact of life. Pressures will come and they will bring with them anxieties. That part is, is simply inevitable. Every Christian experiences that. And, and Paul is very much aware of that. In fact, Paul wouldn't be writing this if he didn't expect those anxieties to come to the Philippian church. So when Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, he isn't so much saying, don't let anxieties come into your life, as he is addressing the question, what will you do when those anxieties come? What will you do with those anxieties? Are you going to keep on being anxious? Are you going to live in that anxiety, or are you going to do something with those anxieties? Paul urges us, not to go on, to to live on in anxiety. Instead, uh, look at what he considers to be the opposite of anxiety. Uh, In prayer and supplication, he says, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Those two are are opposites. A, A living in anxiety and a living in prayer are opposites. And they're opposites because anxiety as a way of life is rooted in the belief that things are under my control. That if I think ahead and plan ahead and control ahead enough, I can control the way my life is going to go. That's, that's the root of anxiety. And prayer is rooted in the belief that my life is in God's hands, in my Father's hands. Uh, we become consumed with anxiety when we believe that we are able to control the direction of our life. And so these two are truly opposites. And and here's the hard truth then that that we need to take to heart. You are not in control of your life. We need to know this. We are not in control. You can't stop a, a sudden car accident from happening. You can't keep brain cancer from creeping up. You can do all the the precautions and take all the necessary tests, and yet you still can't stop uh, the unforeseeable from coming into your life. You can't uh, prevent uh, an infant from being taken away in her sleep. These are things that are outside of our control. As the Lord Jesus says, you can't add a single hour to your life. You can't guarantee that there will be food on the table tomorrow or next year. You can't make your life go the way that you want it to go. You can't guarantee, if you're single, you can't guarantee that you will find a spouse. If you're married but don't have kids, you can't guarantee that they will come. Those are not things that are in your control. We need to hear this and we need to take this to heart. We are not in control of our lives. The longer that we live under that illusion, the more anxiety will eat us up and the deeper our frustration will be when, we, when the day comes that we truly discover that we simply cannot control the way our lives will go. Scripture is abundantly clear on this point that we are not in control. We think of Psalm 127, which we sang earlier, uh, that says you can't even build a house successfully without God's blessing. You can post a guard in your city to protect it from enemies, and yet that guard will not be successful without God's blessing. We, we can take the necessary precautions, we can put in the necessary labor, and yet our lives still are not under 
our control. You see, if we insist on being in control over our lives, then we will live in that anxiety that Paul warns us about. And, and that those anxieties will ultimately consume us altogether. There is nothing we can do to stop these things from happening. Of course, we have responsibilities and roles to play, and we should care about the future and plan for the future. And of course, God blesses good choices, good decisions. Proverbs, uh, the book of Proverbs speaks all about that. But even there, the book of Proverbs, nor anywhere else in Scripture, make, they make no promise that if you do these things, you can control the way that your life will go, or that your good choices are going to prevent tragedy from, from striking your life. We're simply not in control over these things. And, and if we insist on maintaining that control and we refuse to relinquish that control that we don't even have, then those anxieties will ultimately consume us. And the truth is, Many of us are living there even right now, and some of us may not even realize that that's the way that we're living our lives. We're fighting to be in control over our lives. We're manipulating every detail because we believe that we can somehow force God's hand to give us the kind of life that we want, and we may not even know what kind of life that is. We're busy trying to control a future that is far, far outside of our control. And we, and we keep on living under that illusion, and as we do so, the anxiety keeps on building and building up. So Paul recognizes anxieties as such, they're going to come. They will come. The question is, what will you do with those anxieties? The antidote Paul says to those anxieties, is instead in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to make our requests known to God. And brothers and sisters, we need to know how important this is in the Christian life. It's in the Heidelberg Catechism too that says prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. The truth is, that, as I've mentioned, those anxieties will come, whether it's about earthly things, food, drink, clothing, brain cancer, accidents, uh, dangerous conditions on the road. Those anxieties will come, and, and they will also come about heavenly things. Uh, we can become anxious for those as well. The state of the church, the state of God's kingdom, the state of Christianity here in Canada. All of these things will come and they will bring concerns and anxieties into our lives. And as, as such, that's neither good nor bad. That, that just is. That's the way of, of life. Think of Hannah, the mother of, of Samuel in, in 1 Samuel 1. Hannah was barren and it grieved her deeply that she was barren uh, to the point where sometimes she could not even eat. And her rival, her rival wife made it all the worse by provoking her because of her barrenness. And so the fact of her barrenness, the fact that she was barren, it afflicted her. And in 1 Samuel 1, you find Hannah in the house of the Lord, it says, deeply distressed and weeping bitterly. Do you think Paul would rebuke Hannah for that? I don't believe that he would. The fact is, those anxieties will come. 
The question is, what will you do with those anxieties, those tears, that anguish? Well, Hannah knew that there was only one place that she could go, and that was to the house of the Lord. Hannah knew that if anguish of soul and if anxiety was not cast upon the Lord, then it would ultimately consume her. And so Hannah responded with the instinct of faith. She brought those concerns before the Lord. She made her request known to the Lord exactly as Paul instructs us to do. She knew that God cares for her. Take Nehemiah as another example. In Nehemiah 1, he was equally distressed, and for him it, it was what you might call a heavenly concern. It was the state of God's kingdom in, in Jerusalem. So both earthly concerns and, and heavenly concerns, you find these in Scripture, and they're legitimate concerns. And, and it grieved Nehemiah. I know you had a sermon on this not, not that long ago. But it grieved him so profoundly that the king was able to witness the grief on his face and, and in his heart. Do you think Paul would rebuke Nehemiah for that grief? Again, I don't believe that Paul would. Instead, just like Hannah, Nehemiah did exactly what Paul is urging us to do. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, he made his request known to God. So the command is not to, to never feel anxiety. Anxiety will come, and for some of us, it will come in great measure. There's nothing you can do to stop that. The question is, what will you do with that anxiety? As a Christian, there's only one thing we can do, and that is to bring those anxieties before the Lord, to cast our cares on the Lord, as we sang in, in Psalm 55. You can see three elements in, in Paul's exhortation, uh, prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Uh, prayer and supplication are essentially the same thing. Prayer is the more general term, and supplication emphasizes that element of, of neediness. We're a needy people, and we come before God with, with many great needs. And so it emphasizes that, that attitude of dependence before the Lord. And then Paul also mentions thanksgiving. And we, we shouldn't gloss over the fact that Paul specifically mentions thanksgiving. I think this is more than just counting your blessings, though that certainly is important. But even more, especially here in the context of the letter to the Philippians, if you look at what, what has come right before this chapter, it's remembering to give thanks particularly for what we have in Christ. It's remembering in, in all of our anxieties and giving thanks to God in all of our anxieties for the fact that we are blood-bought sinners, reconciled to God by Christ, through Christ, with, uh, with, out of no merit of our own. It's recognizing that it's because of Christ that we can say, as Paul does in, in chapter 3, I consider that the sufferings... No, excuse me, that's from uh, Corinthians. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. If you're a Christian, you are an heir to eternal glory in Christ. And so, whatever sufferings you endure on this earth, uh, and for some of us it's true, those, those sufferings are very, very great indeed, 
But whatever sufferings you endure on this earth, they are not worth comparing with the glory that you will receive not 80 or less years from now. And in the midst of our, even our worst sufferings, that fact still ought to be reflected in our prayers. Do we take the time in our prayers to remember this fact that we are blood-bought sinners reconciled to God because of Christ? Do we dwell on that reality? Do we give thanks to God for that reality? Paul specifically mentions thanksgiving as part of the antidote to anxiety. We can and we should bring our concerns before God. We ought to do that. Paul is urging us to do that. But as we do that, we cannot forgive also to give thanks to God for the glory that we will receive in Christ. And and doing so brings us back to perspective. We need to be brought back in the midst of our sufferings and our anxieties and our concerns. We need to be brought back to perspective. We very quickly lose our sense of perspective. So we're called to to bring our requests before God with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. And Paul says, then make your requests known to God. Of course, it's not that God doesn't know our needs. The Lord Jesus specifically tells us that He does. But God calls us to make them known to Him because that's what children do for their father. If their father is good and their father has their best interests in mind, That's what children instinctively do before their father. Remember, as Paul says in in Romans 8, God works all things for good for those who love him. He works all things for good. There There are trials he gives us that we think, how could this possibly work out for good? A child dies, or worse, a child walks away from the Lord. Can that still be for our good? That's the promise from God. He works all things for our good. He's our Father who loves us. And the day will come when we look on all the things He has given us in our lives and say, now I see why that was good for me. Let me phrase this uh, command another way. I'll sort of turn it on its head. So Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer make your requests known to God. Let me turn it on its head and phrase it this way. Uh, We know that anxieties will come in greater or lesser measure. So, do not let there be less prayer in your day than there is anxiety on your mind. Do not let there be less prayer in your day than there is anxiety on your mind. I say it this way because there are many of us who are filled with anxiety and may not even realize it. Maybe they think, uh, there's just a little anxiety in my life. Well, then bring that little anxiety before God. And you may discover as you do so that there's more anxiety there than you thought. There are also some here who, who are filled with anxiety and they know they're filled, and yet they, they've prayed, or, or they feel like they've already prayed, and so what more is there to do? Well, if you have much anxiety, then bring it before God with much prayer. Yes, that that might even mean you'd be in prayer all day long. Is Is that any less reasonable than being consumed and eaten up by anxiety 
all day long. It certainly isn't. If there's still anxiety on our minds that's consuming us, then it's better to spend that time in prayer. So Paul's command here is is not just about small concerns, nor just about big concerns. It's very all-encompassing. He says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, he says, big concerns or little, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make all your requests known to God. The point is not that, that prayer automatically makes the anxiety go away. The point is that God hears and God answers our prayers and our supplications. And when accompanied with thanksgiving, they bring us back to perspective before, in the, into the hands of our loving Father. And, and that's why Paul gives us the amazing promise in verse 7. He says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's such a beautiful promise, and I know that some of you know exactly what Paul is talking about when he speaks of a peace of God that that surpasses understanding. Let's not forget to whom Paul was writing this as we consider this. Paul, of course, himself was writing from prison, facing the very real possibility of uh, additional whippings. He had already received several, and very possibly even death. And he was writing to the Philippian church, which he knew had many reasons to be anxious. They were small. They were right in the heartland of paganism. Uh, They were already facing some persecution. That's clear from Philippians 1, uh, verse 29. He speaks of the suffering that they've already been given. Uh, In fact, in in, uh, 2 Corinthians, he speaks of the the churches of Macedonia, that's Thessalonica and Philippi, as churches that had, uh, in in an experience of great affliction, nevertheless given generously. So we know that they had already endured or begun to endure affliction. And, And you can only begin to imagine the worries, the anxieties that would have been on the minds of these Christians. The thought of having their homes broken into or, or altogether repossessed. Or having they themselves or their families or their children dragged before the authorities or thrown to the lions. Uh, which was a very common experience in, in the days of the early church. The emperor Nero was known to use uh, living Christians as, as living torches for his garden parties to light them up. So these Christians, if anyone has ever had reason to be anxious, they certainly had reason, both for themselves and for their families. But the promise here from Paul, and of course ultimately from God, it was true then, and it's true now. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's true, isn't it? And, and Paul's exactly right when he says that that peace surpasses understanding. In circumstances that you would consider it unfathomable that anyone could ever have peace, God gives it. And many of us have have seen this either in ourselves or in in loved ones. And and it's in those times, it's so clear that that peace 
comes from God. It's a peace that could not possibly come from within ourselves. We know that our tendency is to become anxious and to want to control the circumstances that God gives us. And it's, it's an amazing gift that truly does surpass understanding when some can be given the worst trials and yet nevertheless experience the deepest peace. Those of us who have been there and those of us who have loved ones who have been there know exactly what Paul is speaking of. The source of that peace comes from knowing that our lives are securely and entirely in the hands of our Father. As the Catechism says, not a hair falls from our heads without our Father's will. It's a special comfort for those enduring cancer who, who's, who will lose every hair of their heads. Not one falls without their Father's will. He knows our anxieties. He has a plan and a purpose that will use the worst trials for good, for His good, and also for our good. It's when we know that, that, that we're able to let go of the anxiety that holds us. In Christ, we are God's children, and He will never let go of His children. It's when we bring our concerns before God that we begin to recognize this, and it truly does give a peace that surpasses understanding. That peace, Paul says, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, God promises to give that peace, as it were, a shield around your heart and your mind, to keep that anxiety from consuming you and derailing you. And again, we see that the promise, and we should notice this clearly, the promise of that peace comes through Christ Jesus. That's the very last words of our text. It's through Christ Jesus that we have that peace. Our comfort comes through Him. Our, our, it's because of Him and because of who we are in Him that we have peace with God and because of Him that the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed. It's not for nothing that our catechism also says that our only comfort in life and death is that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And so here too, Paul gives the the promise, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in or through Christ Jesus. Horatio Spafford, the the author of the, the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, is an example of someone who understood this very well. He was a a lawyer and a businessman in the 1800s in the U.S., and he became quite wealthy through investments in in real estate in Chicago. In 1870, he lost his only son, four years old, to scarlet fever. Then a year later, he lost all of his investments to a fire that burned Chicago to the ground. Then two years later, he was planning to, to go with his family to Europe And at the last minute, he had to send them ahead so he could stay behind and take care of some business matters and then catch up with them later. And on the journey there, the ship sank and all four of his daughters drowned. His wife sent him a telegram with two words, survived alone. And it was in response to that hymn that Horatio Spafford wrote the hymn, When Sorrows Like Sea Billows Roll. 
Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. In the space of four years, he lost everything that he had on earth, and yet somehow he was still able to rest in the arms of his heavenly Father, knowing that all was well. It's a peace from God that truly surpasses understanding. And you, and you can see in his hymn how that peace was rooted in the knowledge of Christ and of all that Christ had done. After all, what was the source of that wellness of soul? It's very clear in his hymn. He says, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. One more verse, it's not, not as well known. He says, for me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live, if Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. That's the peace of God that surpasses understanding. So brothers and sisters, don't miss this last word from Paul that ought to be on our minds at all times. Let me say it again. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not dwell on that anxiety. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving for all that we have in Christ, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.